Hey guys, have you heard about Anchor by Spotify? It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a few others. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And I save the best part for last. It's totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's Anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. International and practical, informative and inspirational. How you gonna do better if you don't know what better looks like? I do. Come on, let's talk about it with me, the Mind Massager. What's going on, fellas? How y'all doing? What's up, Kurt? Mr. Slint, Mr. Liberty, how you doing today, sir? Good to have you in. Doing good, brothers. How y'all doing? Thank you. 
everybody, if you will, please share the screen. And we're ready to get this conversation started in about a minute, one minute and two seconds. We're going to get the conversation started. And if you're in a chat, let me know where you, where you are, where you're from. Little Rock, Brooklyn, New York, Atlanta. Where you listening from, let me know. I can kind of make the conversation as organic and relative as possible. Y'all know I like my little music, so I like to groove to it for a second. Arkansas, the answer is from Arkansas. Well, Brandy Sherwood, Arkansas. Brandy, thank you for sharing. Shante, thank you for sharing. We lost Reggie Curry. I'm sure he'll be back in a minute. What's up, Myra? Myra, this is from Decatur, Georgia. All right, all right, all right. We're ready to get this thing started tonight. Uh, if, like I said, if you're in the chat, do me a favor. Let me know where you're listening from. Uh, and uh, let me know you're there. But we want to have a dialogue tonight. We, uh, Reggie and uh, uh, C. Ray Morris and myself. And I'm sure Reggie will be back in a moment. Uh, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a little conversation here, but we want y'all to have a dialogue there in the comments. So please, ma'am, please, sir, let me know that you're there, and we're gonna go ahead and get this conversation started. First of all, I have with me tonight, and I'm proud to say that I have with me is NFL former NFL player. I guess you're a little older now. You probably don't play football no more. But uh, uh, can you hear me? You can hear me good. Okay, good. So we got former NFL player Reginald Swinton. Come on, Reggie. What's up, man? Uh, tell everybody who you are. Tell them what you do. Uh, give us a little brief introduction uh, of what of who Reggie Swinton is, please, sir. Oh man. Um, I guess you can say I play for the Cowboys. Not too proud to say that right now, <laughs> but uh, I play for the Cowboys, Detroit Lions, Arizona Cardinals. I retired in 2006, and I came back home, and now I run a youth a youth football program, and I have my own my own clothing line, my own sportswear, as y'all can see, called CR Sports. So that's what I'm doing right now is coaching kids and, and pushing my brand. That's good, man. So let me ask you a question, because that's, that's really why I got you all on tonight. I wanted to uh, – I wanted uh, at first I was going to do a show on all coaches, and I was going to bring coaches in from – Football, basketball, baseball, and look at the different dynamics of coaching. But I, but after last week's show, and it, and last week we had a really really good show. I got a lot of feedback on it. We talked about fathering and all those types of things. But we got a bunch of feedback, and they asked us to come back with a part two of that conversation. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to look at the universal nature of fathering. I um uh, I was reading an article today, and when they talked about fathering. They almost talked about Corey, uh, fathering almost as a calling. You know, even though we have our own children, even uh, when, everywhere we go, we're still fathers, whether our children are there or not. Or not. And so we have a tendency of putting, you know, it's not a robe or or an outfit that you can put on and take off and I ever stop being a father. Sometimes this fathering just kicks in, you know what I'm saying? And so I wanted to kind of co- uh, expand our conversation tonight and not only, and have fathers in three different capacities, because number one, I have, C. Ron, C. Raymond Morris, he's a homeboy from Little Rock, well, from Morrison, Arkansas. Uh, he's a pastor there in Brooklyn. Uh, excuse me, did I say right? Brooklyn, New York. And then uh, I have Reginald, um, Reggie Curry. Uh, he keeps going. He's, he'll be right back. But he is an administrator slash athletic director at a local high school here in Atlanta. And then we got you, Reggie, 
who is over a youth football organization. How many kids in your organization? Uh, about 600. 600? Mm-hmm. I didn't know you had. So let me, I know you probably don't well, know. Huh? In my entire football league. I have okay, a league. league. Okay. I have a league yellow. But my team itself has about 100 kids. And so like my, my, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, so my six U, eight U, ten U, and twelve U. So my four different teams, you know, total has about a hundred kids. And so the six hundred in the in, in the in your league total. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of the six hundred, if you had to guess, what percentage would you say are are have single mothers? Ah, uh, sixty-five, seventy. Seventy percent of single. So in in that regard, you and your assistant coaches a lot of times have to step in and be that father figure am i correct absolutely correct uh but it's a job that we signed up for i know a lot of these kids they look up to me more so as a dad than coach Um, a lot of these kids when they get done playing for me they still reach out to me in fact i talked to a lot of my kids who are in high school and some down in college as i put on facebook yesterday in my nine years of having my program i've got four kids right now playing college football and I've got and I've got six with with with, uh, with offers right now. So uh, that's kids that 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 came through my program and graduated out. Now they're in college or in high school, and I still and I still stay in contact with each and every last one of them. But as far as the kids we have now, it's more than just coaching. It's more than coaching. A lot of these kids they 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 don't have a male figure. Period. Gotcha. And a lot of these mothers rely on us okay. in more ways than one to be that male figure in their kids' lives. Well, that, that, that's a wonderful thing, and we're going to continue that conversation. But listen, let, let me read this right here. The media, the media plays a large role in how black fathers are viewed in society. There are many media myths that should be addressed and dispelled in related to blacks in general and black dads in particular. For example, media, for example, media reports or depictions often misrepresent black fathers as absentee dads who abandon their children by connecting non-marital births with parental involvement. Research tells us, however, that many black fathers are deeply engaged with their children and physical separation is not always synonymous with lack of father involvement. According to sociologist Patricia Hill Collins, these controlling images shape people's thinking about certain groups after being exposed to negative representations repeatedly. Left unchecked, they make policy and lawmakers unsympathetic to the plight of black dads. So that's, that's something I want to do, is I want to start to debunk some of the negative myths that seem to suggest that black dads are just 100% absent for, for whatever reason or whatever, because I mean, there are always extenuating circumstances for everything that takes place but all the dads i know are actively involved i remember one time corey um i had started a church up in uh up in uh, dalton georgia what's up uh, gibbon i uh, started a church in dalton georgia and uh one day i was doing a big function on the parking lot and uh and the ice cream man came and all of a sudden one dude bought everybody every kid on that uh parking lot ice cream you know who he was the so-called local kingpin or the so-called big dope dealer or whoever he was supposed to be right but he had children 
and he had a heart for children. And so even then, people always took care of, black men have always taken care of the younger, young, well, back when we were growing up, I take that back. When we were growing up, they took care of uh, the younger uh, generation. Do you find that a lot, even though, Reggie, uh, you got 65, 70% single mothers, do you find support coming from even guys, dope dealers, whoever, ex-athletes, anybody that still want to just make sure that the kids succeed? I'll be honest with you. Very few. Very few. Okay. Very few. Yeah, yeah. What's the dynamic uh, like there? Well, it's going to thing. Normally, nowadays, a lot of these youth football coaches are dads. Okay. You rarely find those who just want to give their time up. They're normally coaching their kids. And that's what I truly call daddy ball. Now, we can appreciate them, but on my staff, I look for men that's going to be there long after their kids are gone. Okay. That's that's more important to me because you got to touch more than just your kid. And I mm-hmm. feel like we as black men were obligated to help out not only black kids, kids, period. A lot of us say just black kids. I basically don't care what nationality you are. Mm-hmm. I've had all kinds of kids in my house. I've had white kids with no daddy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my mission, my calling, my journey, my path in life is to help anybody who I can. And that's, you know, I give up a lot of money, a lot of time. But it's something that I believe was my calling from my days of uh, retiring back in 2006. And I love it. You love it. Okay, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to ask you this question, Reggie Curry. Uh, as, you, uh, as you grew up, I guess we'll call you Reginald for the show and let Reggie Swinton be Reggie. Well, let's be Reginald for the show. Uh, <laughs> so you get to say, Reggie, you got your, your uh, brand, you get to say Coach Reggie on the show tonight because you got to see how popping it. I get it. Uh, but, Reginald, did you find growing up, because I know you told me that your grandparents raised you last week, right? Yes. Did you find... Did you find like, was there a community dad or somebody else down the street who had a dad that everybody, all the boys in the neighborhood kind of looked up to that dad? Pretty much. I mean, in the country, I mean, everybody was everybody's dad and mom on that on that that road we was on. So no matter where you went up and down, like Burns Road in Appling, Georgia, everybody was your dad. Everybody was your mom. So if you did anything wrong, you know, everybody had the right to correct you. Or whatnot. So it wasn't like um, we had this specific person that we all looked up to. It was like this whole street is is related. So you know, if you act up or you do anything wrong, you got consequences where you at, and when you get home, you know you're gonna have consequences as well. So it was more of a community thing than anything. Gotcha. Because I, I found that to be true, especially with my father. My father, I had to share. Oh, hey, Nikki, uh, Nikki, uh, Jenkins, how you doing, uh, Karen Hayes? Uh, I um. Uh, I found that dynamic, Corey, I had to share my dad with everybody because everybody just knew my dad. I never will forget Reggie. Uh, one time, uh, my dad my dad was 5'11", but he could jump out the gym, right? So I never will forget. I, we had to be about the 7th, 8th, maybe ninth grade, and we were all at North Heights Recreation Center. We were up there playing basketball. And my dad had come in, man. It was, I, ain't gonna lie, I was a little embarrassing because he had a little green and yellow outfit. And then he had these white socks pulled up to hit all the way up his calves with a green and yellow stripe around the socks, right? And everybody, when he walked in, everybody just thought, ah, Mr. Kirk, Mr. Kirk started making fun of his socks and all that kind of stuff. And he said, throw me that ball, boy. And one of them threw him the ball, then he ran up and he dumped the basketball and then walked out the gym. And everybody was like, ah, you know. But but everybody looked up to him. 
as that community father because even though he was my father, I I don't know I really didn't know who had dads or who didn't have dads, but I had to share my father with everyone else. Corey, do you find that dynamic to be true still now, even in your church and whatnot? Uh, yes. The um, I'm sitting here thinking about it. You know my context in which I was born and raised west end community of Martin, arkansas um i had my dad was my grandfather clifton robertson but there were so many other men in the community that carried themselves conducted themselves had the character and integrity that if they never called you son they still acted and functioned like a father yes and you know you could still learn from them and look up to them and um yeah and then and it's the same way in the church you know the um of course things haven't changed very much with the attending demographic of the church you know it's still mostly women but the few men that are there uh you know do have a fatherly nature uh to them that that's helpful to just to um you know to the kids um to girls and boys and um to single mothers and yeah so i i see that i see that element i not as much as i would like to see it but yeah but it's definitely present and that's what actually stanberry actually uh granberry just said it could still be that way if folk were, were so picky about folks saying stuff to their kids. Well, and uh, do you find that, uh, Reggie? Or, 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 or Reggie Swin, would, or would you not allow people to um, communicate with their kids? I mean, I mean, I mean well, like, for instance, the pa- do the mom say anything, get on to y'all for getting on to the kids, the coaches for getting on to the kids, or would you not allow them in the program if they, if they were to limit that? Well, here's the thing. I have my parent meeting every late March or April. And I tell all my new parents, if you can't take me being hard on your child, that's the wrong thing for you. I'm an old school coach. I fuss. I yell. I'll never curse your kid. I'll never hit your kid. But I'm going to coach you the only way I know how, and that's how I was coached. My coaches, now back in our day, our coaches, they cursed, and they grabbed our face mask, and they yanked us around. That's something you cannot do these days. So I don't do that. Okay. But I get after my kids really hard. And I tell my parents, if you cannot take that, that's the wrong thing for you because I'm only getting on to your kid because it's what made me successful. I don't know how to do anything that's not successful. So everything I touch is successful from my youth football team to my businesses to my marriage to my children. So I can only teach your kid what I know. I can't teach your kid how to drive an 18-wheeler because I ain't never drove one. But I can teach your child how to be a man to be a young man, I can teach your child football, I can teach your child a lot of discipline. I can't teach him how to sag no pants, how to beat no thug, how to smoke no weed, because I ain't never done that. Oh, man. I ain't never done that. So I can only teach you what I know, and that's how to be a young male. Well, you, you said something that was really, really key. And what you said is, you're going to teach them football, you're going to teach them discipline. And what people mess up and do sometimes because there's such a fine line between discipline and abuse there's a very fine line 
And the element that makes discipline discipline is the love that fuels discipline. You understand what I'm saying? Because discipline is, is to me, discipline is what you produce. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, abuse. If I, if I, uh, Red, you remember when we, uh, when you, you know, back in the day when we played, when our sons played baseball, and we went and played on a particular team. Uh, I never was to get Coach Reggie, man. They were my son was ten then, and uh, that was just when they were starting to throw the changeup. And uh, and this particular coach kept saying, "Don't swing at the changeup, don't swing at the changeup," and then would holler at the kids. I told you not to swing at the changeup. So my son gets in the car and says, "Dad, I ain't swinging at ain't swipe strike three ever again. I'm never swinging." I said, "Why?" Because he said, "Cause coaches don't holler at me," and I'm like, "How can he holler? How do you know what the changeup is?" So I had a conversation with him. And he asked, he said, uh, you know, do y'all have a problem with uh, with us hollering at your kids? I said, yeah. He said, why? He said, they're going to holler at him in high school. I said, well, he's 10. If he don't, he might stop playing now and don't want to play in high school because you ran him away. I said, let him learn the game first. And to me, and I'm asking this, this is a question for you too, Coach Rich, because I know I got you the first 30, 45 minutes for that. Uh, I told that coach, I said, you got to understand, you can't coach – 10-year-old baseball like you coach 15-year-old basketball because they're two different mentalities. Speak to that for me. What Do, do you think there's a difference in mentality in coaching certain? No, I disagree with you on that. Okay. Um, okay. You're coaching. You're coaching. You're coaching to perfection. Okay. And I'm going to give you a prime example of that. I got a really good kid of mine who's going to be a five-star recruit, just totally awesome, um, the kid named Darren Owens. He scored a really big touchdown for us a couple of years ago in the game. And everybody gets yelling for him and excited. And I run down and I catch him and I grab him. And I say, and I fuss at him. Like, and he's wondering why you fussing. I scored a touchdown. Well, I was fussing because you're supposed to carry the football like this, not okay. like this. Right? Okay. So as he's running, someone could come up from behind him and poke the ball out. And instead of him scoring, now it's their ball the other way. See, gotcha. it's little things that win and lose ball games. Everybody want to congratulate you when you do something well. For me, how I coach is I look at how can I make you better. That's it, whatever sport it is, whether it's baseball, basketball, track, whatever I coach. The parents, everybody else is going to pat you on the back. That's not my job. My job is to make you better as a coach so that when you move up to school ball, you know to hold the ball like this and not like this so it doesn't hurt your chance of being recruited. I guess. And I'm gonna listen to you because I'm gonna listen to you because you signed the contract. <laughs> you 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 you're a professional. <laughs> But in the midst of that five years, I got cut by nine different teams and traded twice. Okay. So I played five years on five one-year contracts. So okay. so every year I had to go out and prove myself. So my road, I wasn't no draft pick. Wow. I never had no big contract, but I worked hard, and I was able to, to stay in there and get my 401K and get my pension. Thus, I'm, I'm, I live a decent life. I'm 46 years old, and the main thing I did – was I set my family up for the future. My yes. 401k, my pension, God forbid something happened to me, my wife and my kids will be good. So although I didn't play a long time, as a man, I set my family up for longevity. How many children do you have? 
24. I got 24, uh, 24, no, shoot. 25, 23, 22, and 19. I get my youngest son is going to Jackson State here in a couple of weeks to go play for Dion. All right, okay, okay. And you got a grandbaby because I see she got you wrapped all the way around your son. Oh, boy, look, if I could have skipped parenthood and went right to grandparenthood, uh, you know, according to my grandbaby, I don't really love my kids like I thought I did. <laughs> did that grandbaby hit differently, man? Man, but you know what, man? We we get it wrong. We get a chance because I don't care what nobody says. This whole parenting thing is OJT, right? It's on the job training, man. And you know, it's, yeah. I, I ain't gonna lie. I probably suck with my twenty-three-year-old. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> by the time I get, by the time we got to this eighteen-year-old, this autopilot. She was. She said she want to do something. Like, oh, whatever. I don't care. I ain't fighting. Yeah, okay. As long as they don't hurt yourself, we good. But, you know, that whole that whole that whole dynamic changes so much when you start bringing in. When you start, so I can only imagine. I mean, I don't think I'm anywhere close to having grandbabies. I need. I ain't got no wood to knock on, so I knock on my head. But uh, but uh, that whole that whole dynamic changes. But man, I'm, let's let's talk. And Corey, with uh, Corey and Reginald, we're gonna get you all a little bit more a little bit later because Reginald's gonna be with us the first thirty or forty five minutes. Then we're gonna kind of transition. So. But let's talk about this because I, I study leadership development. Now, leadership development usually says it takes about 10 years to really see a program really start to implement what its intent is, right? And so you said that the Arkansas Lions have been around for, what, nine years now? Yeah, nine years. And you got four in college already? No, my oldest son, he's a school teacher. Okay. And then my daughter, she's a junior in college. She's the one with the baby. And, no, I'm talking uh, about out of your program, out of your, out of your Arkansas Alliance program. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I got four. I got, I got one that just signed with OU. So okay. yeah, uh, I saw that. OU. Yeah, yeah, man. Okay, Robert Jennings Spears. Yeah, I, I was in Robert Spears Jennings. He played for me our first year. In fact, in my program, he's got the first ever touchdown in our program when when, when my youth football team played Deion Sanders' youth football team in Atlanta. Wow. Yeah. And man, and y'all, and those in the chat, please do me a favor, share this thread, uh, like like the video, do whatever, you know, share this thread, and do me a favor, tag Five Fathers if you can. If you know Five Fathers, tag them. They need to be listening to this conversation as well. So share this, because we got Reggie, Reggie, Reggie Swinton on tonight, and Reggie is uh, the proprietor slash owner slash coach of the Arkansas Lions, a program that's been in existence for nine years, probably 65, 70%. 70% of those uh, children are children of single mothers. He has to assume the role, along with his coaches, of being a mentor slash father figures to many of those children uh, based on not, I mean, with no discrimination whatsoever. And so we really wanted to get him in, get him on tonight and talk about that. Now, what I like is that, and what really got my attention uh, is, um, is the opportunities he's providing for those in my home state. He started out you know, what, 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 what did you start out with? How many teams did you start out with the first year? In my program or yeah. in my league? In, in my program. program three. Okay. What ages? Uh, that was 8U, 10U, and 12U. Then we added 6U in, in, year, in year number two. We added 6U in 2014. Okay. Okay. So, and, uh, and so now I've noticed that uh, you have started to do the 707 thing, right? I do the seven on seven. I have a nationwide all star game. I have uh, I had my first one back in Fort Worth in July. I just had one in Las Vegas last week where we had hundred and forty seven kids in Las Vegas representing twenty seven different states. I've got my next all star event 
in June right here in Little Rock where I've got a bunch of pro players coming in, Rocket Ishmael, Quincy Carter, Roy Williams, the receiver, Roy Williams, the safety. I've got Kevin Williams, Coach Houston Nutt, um, Donald Driver. So i got all those guys coming in town for my big all-star game. That one should have about 300 kids. And then and I'm so big trying to – Scouts and stuff coming to those things? Huh? Are those kids being scouted at this time? Or are, they, are they old enough to be scouted yet or are they young still? So believe it or not, it'll be seventh, eighth graders here, and there will be scouts here watching them because now kids are getting offered in eighth grade. And what? this type of event here, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. We got a kid right here named Kane Archer who's been – he's in eighth grade, plays at Greenwood. Been offered by Arkansas, Missouri, USC, and Oklahoma, I think. No, Michigan. He's in eighth grade. Third quarterback. So these kids now are getting offers more, you know, sooner now. But but I want to tell you a story real fast. I know these gentlemen want to talk as well, and I don't want to beat all the ones talking. But I want to tell you a story about a kid in my program that this kid means the world to me. Um, I won't I won't say his name, but when he first came to us our first year in 2013, um, you know, his mom came to our practice. And she wanted to know who the head coach was. So she, so she called my name out. Or they pointed me, and I walked over to her. And she said, Coach, you know, Reggie, she's like, my son, he wants to play football. He doesn't see men in positive manners. She said, and all he's seen is men come and go through my house. As you guys probably know what that means. Mm-hmm. He's trying to provide for him. So she said he, he curses a lot. He needs discipline. So I said, no problem. I take him home. Little did I, I, I did not know what I was taking on. So as we out there and practice, and we, you know, practicing, and this little kid, eight years old, and he's just cursing like he's a grown man. And so my coaches were like, are you sure you want to keep him? I said, well, I told his mom that, that we, you know, we as black men going to work with him. Mm-hmm. About a week into it, we're doing conditioning. <laughs> so I tell the kids to go line up. And I blow the whistle, and they run down and run back. So I blew the whistle. He went down and came back. They get a 45-second break. So I blew it again. Everybody ran. He stood there. So I said, you know, I called him uh, John. So I said, John, run. He said, quote, Coach, I ain't running shit. (laughs) So he said loud. So I said, I said, come here. I said, what you say? He said, Coach, I ain't running shit. I'm tired, right? <clears throat> so I said, oh, my gosh. So as time went on, another one of my coaches said, this kid will destroy your program. we got to let him go. I said, I can't oh, wow. do it. I can't do it. That kid stuck with us that year until he aged out. That kid got t- turned his whole life around. Grades came up. You know, I went to a school with him. I went to have lunch with him. I had a gentleman's club with him. I would go to his school, dress up in a suit, go hang out with him. And to this day, if you call that kid right now, you can't say nothing bad about Coach Reggie. He would knock you out. Now, he still cuss a little bit, not like he used to. He's a senior in high school now, and that kid loves me to death. And it's all because I chose not to give up on him. Yeah. Who okay. knows where he would be? He called me on FaceTime. He got a job at school. He's working now. Uh, he quit football. That hurt. I mean, big tough lineman, but he, you know, he quit football. But he's working and he's helping his mom pay bills. And his mom said, "Coach, if it wasn't for you, I don't know where my son would be at right now." 
what 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 was it that you saw that made you st- that made you stick with it? Not that I've seen something. I mean, I promised his mom that we work yeah. with him, and against my coach's wishes because he was a detriment to my team. He had a lot of kids scared up, and he was he was a flat out thug life as an eight year old kid. He all he seen was men come and go to his house, so he didn't trust no man because his mom was bringing him in and out because she was trying to pay the bills. So he had no respect for men at all, no men. So I used to pick him up, take him home. Uh, I remember Thanksgiving 2016, I fed his family. Well, I say I, me and my coaches fed his family. Then that same year, we bought him some shoes for Christmas, bought him and his brother a bike for Christmas, and we just showed him his brother love. That's good. And, you know, I got on to him. I stayed on him. But more important, I was there for him more than anybody else was. And that's when he finally seen somebody who cared about it. And that's my baby to this day. He was senior in high school. And that and that and that's a famous quote. You know, people won't really know how much you know, care how much you know until you they know how much you care. Yeah. Once they know how much you care, that's that's what they respond to. And I'm gonna get into some statistics a little bit later in the show that shows how much more positively uh, children respond when they have a strong dominant male figure in their lives. You know, they're uh, less likely to get on drugs, less likely to get incarcerated. Let's like, because they know that we require certain different types of consequences, and we're gonna put that book down uh, if if they don't. Uh, but you, but you, uh, some of that's what Ashley just said. You gave him the confidence to trust again, and even if you didn't give him the confidence to trust again, you definitely gave him the confidence to trust, uh, because he might not have ever had anybody to trust. But he saw a man, a man who had proven himself, a man uh, number one, as A.B. Ridgeway just said who honored his word, and that, that's something that needs to be. Uh, because you never know how many times daddy said he was going to show up to take him out to eat pizza and didn't show up, or somebody else said they were going to show up for him and didn't show up. But well, he didn't know his daddy. He don't know his daddy. He didn't know his daddy. Exactly. So he didn't know his daddy, and his older brother was already in prison. So it was oh, wow. him, his older brother, and younger brother. So his mom feared that he was going to go where the older brother was. Okay. And you know, I recall one night, although it was about eleven thirty at night, he actually called me from his mom's phone, like Coach Reggie, I'm hungry. And I stayed like, man, twenty minutes from him. I didn't really want to because I was so tired. But I got up, I went to McDonald's, got him and his brother and mama some uh, food, and I fed him. And again, all the tech people, all y'all who are listening, you ain't gotta be like me and my coaches and try to help out all these kids. Just pick you one. Pick you one child. You don't know what you would do for that child. It just so happened to be, this is my ministry. It's my calling. Okay. And I remember, you know, what Dick Gregory said a long time ago, and this quote sticks with me. He says, when you die, people ain't going to care about the size of your house, the amount of money you made, or the kind of car you drove. God want to know, what did you do for my children while you were here? Wow. What you do for my children. And that quote stuck with me. And I swear, this is not a brag on myself session, but if you guys truly, truly knew me and knew what I did for a lot of kids. I ain't saying I'm rich. I'm not rich. Okay. But I do okay. I do my best to help out as many kids, parents, and my wife doesn't say a word. That's good. That's good. She doesn't ask 
how much money I spent on this kid's shoes or this kid's bike or nothing. She knows I do it, and through the blessings of that, God blesses me with people supporting my business with my online sales. And these are people who don't know me, but they see what I do on Facebook, and they see me in these kids' schools, and they see me coaching these kids and putting these kids in these big-time events. You got to show these kids you care, and your life will change. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. And it's good to have. Let's let's look and see what some of the comments are saying. Latasha Goodson said, uh, "Seems like you were the person that kid needed. So many of our children are crying out for help, but people continue to let them down and give up on them. You met that young man right where he was. Uh, Kanika Boone, she's a school teacher that works with special ed children." She said children need something that's real, uh, and especially these days, the consistency and love, and that's the key thing, the consistency and love, she says, speaks volumes. So she was amening you all the way through everything that you were just saying. Uh, so we want you def you're definitely to be commended uh, for all the things that you do. And I, because there's so many ramifications and extensions to what you offer, you know, you, you uh, you give them team sports, that, you know, then you give them discipline, you give them an opportunity to, uh, to get an education if they decide to go farther with the uh, whole uh, college uh, football thing. There's it's so many uh, seeds that you're planting, and you start planting those seeds at the age of six, uh, and, and those that go through your organization until the age of, what, 12, 13, 14, you know, that's, well, that's a long time that you're in those individuals' lives. If you put, if you got a, a kid, and I'm sure you have some, like some of your ones that started with you when you were, you say you started with eight-year-olds, right? So your eight-year-olds uh, now, nine years or later, are going into college. Mm -hmm. And out of that, you've already seen the fruit of your labor because you got four kids playing scholarships and got nine more to go. And you cracked the D1. You cracked the Power Five with, yeah. with yeah. an Oklahoma signee. You know? So you are obviously doing something right. You know what I'm saying? And, and I appreciate that, man. And like I said, that was something that was attractive uh, to me. Not only, and I've also watched how you handle your own sons as well, you know, because the things that you made public, I, I don't know everything, but some things you made, the things that you made public, I'm sure you didn't make everything public. We never do. But the things that you did, you were there for your children. And those are things uh, that are to be committed. How long have you been married, if you don't mind me asking? I've been with my wife for... 21 year, 22 years in April. She had two kids prior. They okay. were four and two when I met them. They are 26 and 24 now. And okay. then I had a child by my first wife. Uh, I mean, he's the one who's 22. And then my wife and I have a 19-year-old son together. Um, the, the, the beautiful thing about this is for any male that coaches or that's been to where I've been in life as far as pro football, it's so hard to coach your own kids. Uh, it's so hard to go. If that. I tell my son something, it's like you're dad. You're not coach. But let one of y'all come tell them the same thing I just told them. It's platinum. It's like, oh, it's the best thing said. And that happened to my 22-year-old when he was playing, playing for Central High School. You know, I was teaching my son how to catch punch. And, of course, I did it for a living. Yeah. And he would never – Get the elbows in when the ball comes, give with it. I would say, son, give with the ball in case you drop it, you're already down there. He would never do it. So I go watch him practice at Central one day, and the coach that's coaching him was actually my junior high coach. 
And so I'm watching my junior high coach go out there and tell him, elbows in, get with the ball. The next punt that comes, he does it. Oh, I get out of the bleachers and go down on the field. Just the one time I did snatch up my own son. And I said, how are you going to listen to somebody who has never done it in a game as opposed to your dad who's done it? But if you cannot, it's hard to coach your own kid. Yeah, I believe because I they don't, that. They don't see you as coach. <laughs> they see you as dad. On the field, they say dad. They don't say coach. Oh, wow. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard to differentiate yeah. that. But listen, one of the things I'll tell y'all is that people ask about tithing and going to church, and pastor knows this. You're supposed to tithe. And I remember about four years ago, I said, you know what? my tithing is going to go to the kids. So, no, I don't tithe to a church. I give to the children. I give to the parents. And I feel like that's my ministry. Mm -hmm. I feel like the football field is my church, and I'm preaching to the parents and the kids. Now, Pastor, how do you feel about that? I'm curious to want to know that. That's a setup, Corey. He set you up. Well, it's an easy answer. It's it's biblically, it's biblically incorrect. Okay. You know, um, God tells us what to do with the tithe. He says, brings it to the storehouse. To the storehouse. Mm -hmm. Now, if you want to do things for kids and and uh, parents and stuff like that, that's that's nothing wrong with that. But it should not take the place of your tithe. That's just that's just Bible. That's not my opinion. That's what the Bible. Yeah, that's true. Yes, that's sir. True. And that that's is true. because I want to know so. I no, I no, that's good. I, and I appreciate you for asking that question. If somebody else needs to, because people have always thought I can tithe my time and I can tithe my, you know, I can tithe the other things, but no, the, the Bible does say bring it into the storehouse. Let me give a little more context to that. Okay. Um, see, the we live in a physical world, and um, and the world system is set up where we need. Um, money to survive in order to do certain things. I mean, there's, there's no way around that. But uh, when you're saved, though you live in the kingdoms, quote unquote, of the world, America, you could call it a kingdom, though we don't have a king, we have a president and all the other nations or whatever. Jesus, when he came, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. So he didn't come to establish a physical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. And so when you tithe, you are basically, one of the things that you're doing, you're doing a lot of things, you're being obeyed to scripture, but what you're also doing, you're giving to something that is eternal versus something that is temporal. And so when we go to the store and buy clothes, that's temporal because it won't last long. When we buy a car, that's temporal, it won't last long. But when you give to a spiritual organization, or organism is probably better, which is the church, you're giving to something that is that is in the in the business of saving lives of those who have an expiration date physically, but they will live on eternally. And so when you give to the church, you are saying, I identify with the cause of Christ in the earth, and I'm giving my physical resources to something that is not temporal, but eternal in its methodology, eternal in its practice, eternal in its mission, you know, versus 
you know, the many other things that that we could do uh, with our monies. Hope that makes sense. It does. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you for that uh, explanation. And Reggie, thanks for asking that question, man, for real, because some some people don't under didn't understand that, and that's that that really needs to be. And, and you know what? But you know what's funny though? When you, I've learned, when you do give your time, when you give those other things that you really don't miss, you know what I'm saying? You just, you 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 don't you don't you don't miss them. You don't miss them. Hey, but Reggie Reginald, I'm gonna ask you a question because you coached your son at an earlier age, and from what I and, and uh, Reggie. Reginald's son plays professional baseball in the Cleveland Indians organization. He, he got about a 95 mile power fastball, and he had a curveball to rock you to sleep for real. But uh, he was really good at football at a young age. And so, what what made you make that uh, change to going to full to as a father going to full time baseball over uh, over football? Uh, that was, when you know you got to leave, let me know. I know because I ain't gonna hold you no longer than you got to stay here. So just, just give me the let me know you got a role. I understand. So, for real. That was a decision that was made uh, once he kind of once he got to high school because um, both sports require a lot of time. And uh, him being a quarterback, you know, most coaches gonna want their quarterback there for practice condition and things of that nature. So and then baseball, you know, playing with East Cobb, you know, you gone what, Monday through Friday, Monday through the week, Saturday, on the weekends, all the way to Sunday. So for him having to go from baseball practice to football practice, get up at 6 in the morning, go do this and do that. And then the football coach was more so, like, if you want to be a starting quarterback, I need you here. So I just think uh, when it came time for him to make a decision, he was like, you know, Dad, I want to play baseball. Okay. So, I mean, you know, I'm a football person. You know, of course I want him to play football because I played quarterback and whatnot. So, but once he made that decision, uh, we, you know, it was a decision that he made, and uh, that's what we that's what we went with. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, so Reggie, what Reggie Swinton, what would you, as a coach, what would you say to other coaches as it relates to uh, dealing, especially with children with no father? Uh, what, what what kind of advice would you, and we'll kind of let this be your segue. What kind of advice would you give them? As far as uh, being, as far as being there for those kids and what they should, what kind of value they should add and all those types of things. You gotta. It's it's so many coaches coaching for the wrong reason. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Wow. They're they're coaching for the mamas, if you know what I mean. Oh wow. They're not coaching for the right reason. And and wow. the the thing about that is kids can pick up on that. They can pick up on. Like Pastor said, who is really there for them? Who is in their lives that they know they can call on? And I look for coaches who who are gonna be dedicated. This is this is like a full time job when you do what I do. You know, I have a lawn care company, but if you guys notice, I ain't mentioned that. That's my main source of income with my employees. But that allows me to fund this. And they both allow me to fund my football team, which allows me to help kids. And you don't, but you know, you don't have to put money into kids. Time. Some of these kids just want time. That's true. Take them, take them to go get a folk for folk. You just don't know what that'll mean for them. You just don't know, um, you know, asking the kid how their day was. 
or you don't know how many kids look forward to going to school just so they can get the school breakfast and the, and the school lunch. That's their dinner for the day. So when you talk to these kids and you ask them, you ask these kids whether they love. Listen, one of my kids that played for me our first two years got murdered last week. I, um, and I went to. Oh, wow. She squeezed me so tight. She squeezed me. She said, Coach, my son was 20 years old, and all he talked about was you and Coach Jay. Now, Coach Jay is Coach Jay. Me and Coach Jay spent the most time with him when he was 12 and 13 years old. She said, all he talked about was the Arkansas Lions, Coach Reggie, and Coach Jay. Turns out this mother, this mother has lost three sons to gun violence. He was the third one. She lost one in 2016, one 2019, and she just lost Drew to a senseless cell phone argument that he was trying to stop two people from arguing. One person got mad and shot him in the chest and killed him. And he wow. was just trying to break up an argument. Oh, and so when, so when she said, Coach Reggie, you're all that he talked about you and James, that meant something to me. Because although I haven't seen him in about four or five years, Coach James and I, that kid in a way that he always talked about us. See, you want to you want to infect kids and you want to affect kids. Yeah. You want to make sure you want to make sure those kids remember you for the love you show them, and that goes a long way with 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 how they treat people. That's good. That's good, Reggie. Infect kids and affect kids. I'm writing that down. I got to make a banner on that one. I got to make a banner. Is that all you have for us? We got any more? You want? You, anything else you'll tell them? No, I just appreciate y'all. And to Reginald McCurry, just to let you know that um, that my dad got drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals back in '73, but he got shot. He's still living, so he couldn't play. And my uncle played two years in Kansas City with the Royals. Mm -hmm. And I turned down being drafted in high school because I wanted to focus on football because I got tired of being compared to my dad and my uncle. So, really, baseball was my main, my number one sport. I was nowhere near as good at football as I was in baseball. And I was really? a pitcher as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? Baseball was number one for me. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah. Reginald and my son played together. And they both were, well, Reggie's son was always, he had that 95 mile ball fastball. He could hit two and all the other things, but he was a beast. Uh, do my, it. Son, my son was an all-around baseball player, so he just was a five, was a five-two player. He played probably four or five positions, and we all thought that he was going to get drafted, you know, at least make it. And uh, about four or five months ago, he was sliding in second base at Jacksonville State, dislocated his shoulder. Doctor Andrews had put nine anchors in his shoulder, and uh, he said he didn't want to go back. He said, "I'm done." He said, "I'm done." Now I'm not mad at him, Reggie, because his plan B is pretty good. He got an associate's degree, a master's degree. He should, Associate's degree, a bachelor's degree, a master's degree. He trades forex and he just got his real estate license at 23. So I'm not mad at him. He got he got a pretty good plan B in place. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but uh, that's what we thought thought they were gonna do. You know, and uh, because that's that's what we worked on travel ball. You know you know how much time you're doing the travel football thing now. So you I, you you know how much time we put in the travel baseball. Reggie can tell you we would drop our kids off what on on Sundays. And wouldn't see them again to the following Friday or Saturday. You know, they 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 took them all over the southeast and let them play baseball at yep. University of North Carolina, Vanderbilt. I mean, Clemson, 
we just know just our, Reg, I'm still mad at you too, Reginald. But I, I, I'm, I ain't gonna say it on the show today. I'm gonna say that for a one-on-one. <laughs> I've been holding, I've been harboring anger with you for about. He's bigger than me, uh, Coach Reggie, so I can't show my anger. I can just harbor it inside. And I ain't gonna say it, but, <laughs> but it's cool. But Reg, uh, Coach Reggie, like I said, we, we you we, you told us thirty to forty to five. You've given us fifty-one so far. So if you gotta go. I do understand we're about to change uh, the conversation up a little bit, but we're still going to talk about the universal nature of fathering. And we appreciate you for all that you do as a coach, Absolutely. all that you do for those mothers, all mm-hmm. that you do for those young men. And uh, I can't wait to see more and more of your boys coming out and getting D1 fellowships because you got a five-star coming up. That, hey, that's going to say a whole lot about, you know, your organization is going to definitely open doors. Uh, to get four or five. So, man, don't be a stranger. Come back and check us out every now and then. Share our content, man. And uh, and uh, like I said, we just we just have we just have simple conversation. We don't deal with a whole lot of minutia and bull and uh, we're just trying to help families, man. You know what I'm saying? We're just trying to help fix families uh, by having these types of conversations. And more than anything, Reggie, man, I want to promote reconciliation in the African American community between black men and black women, man. So we can start uh, to rebuild. And then and to build. That that's just what I want to do. You know, I'm, I don't have nothing against no other ethnicity, but I am kind of partial to mine. And uh, and uh, so that's kind of what I'm trying to do. So like I said, well, if you're gonna hang around, hang out. If not, we're gonna move on a little bit farther with Reggie and Corey, Reginald and Corey. And uh, like I said, we appreciate you for all that you brought to the table tonight. Thank you guys for having me, James. I appreciate it, Mr. Curry, Pastor Moore. Man, thank you all so much. I know my wife. I got my phone right now. Do not disturb. So I know my wife probably been calling me. So I, I better jump off of here and before I get in real trouble. <laughs> no, you, you got you got to live in that right. house. Right. Be good, man. We appreciate you for hanging out with us for a little while tonight. All right, take care, gentlemen. All right, all right. All right. All right. So we're gonna go a little bit further, uh, gentlemen. I'm gonna get Reggie off the screen. All right. So now we got Reginald and and, and Pastor C. Ray. My now. Let's talk about this modern day father because the modern day father uh, comes in various forms. Uh, today's father is no longer always a traditional married breadwinner and disciplinarian in the family. He can be single or married, uh, externally employed or stay at home, an adoptive or step parent, and a more than capable caregiver to children facing physical or psychological challenges. Uh, psychological research across families from all ethnic backgrounds suggests that fathers' affection and increased family involvement help promote social children's social and emotional development. Would y'all agree with that? So far, uh, mm-hmm. did all those words kind of run together, Pastor Morris? I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I know I know I read a lot. I know just say yes, I agree. You can just amen me. Trust me out there. But all I'm saying is that the father in dynamic has changed. There used to be a time where the father would be the breadwinner, would go out and just go out and leave the kids at home or with the home with the wife. Now that dynamic has changed. In more recent decades, it shows that the changing economic role of women has greatly impacted the role of fathers. Check this statistic out. Between 1948 and 2001, the percentage of working age women employed or looking for work nearly doubled from less than 33% to more than 60%. Y'all hear that? 
That's the working class woman. The, her, 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 that went from 33% and two, and that was in 1948 to 2001. It went to 60%. I would venture to say that it might even be higher now in 2022. But so their increase in financial power made paternal financial support less necessary for some families. In tandem with the um, in tandem with the growing autonomy of women, related trends such as declining fertility, increasing rates of divorce and remarriage and childbirth outside of marriage have resulted in a transi transition from traditional to multiple undefined roles for many fathers. So in other words, the dynamics have changed. We don't have people getting married and having babies now nowadays. Now you, I mean, now you got what you call test tube babies, you got fertility clinics, you got all kinds of things that are in place. And some of those things challenge the traditional role of fathers. What do you all think about that? How, how do you think that have affected? You, you go first, Pastor Yeah, you're talking about the the um, alternative ways that technology has um, has uh, rendered that a child can be born and raised. I think this is what I'm hearing you say, and um, they do present certain challenges because after the child is here. Um, the context in which they are placed into may not actually be what God intended. Okay. And um, say, for instance, um, two mothers or two fathers uh, who are married to each other. And um, we have yet to see um, what the psychological uh, ramification would be on children who are born into those uh, or placed into those kinds of settings. Um, okay. And, you know, um, their worldview, um, those who are, who are born into that kind of situation, their worldview is, is distorted uh, from uh, what God originally intended for male and female, father and mother, and uh, which is going to present some, you know, sort of challenges um, in society. Um, it's going to definitely present a challenge to uh, the church and how we reach, um, how we reach persons who who have come up in that context. Um, there. Is conceivably a degree of, of um, if you want to call it success. Um, not saying that uh, two mothers or two fathers um, um, can't love the child. Not saying that that you know we, we hope that that's the case, and uh, we don't think that people would would want to adopt or go through such lengths you know, to get the child then to abuse it. We don't, we hope that that's not the case. Um, but even sometimes human effort, best human effort still falls short of what God has expected, what he has intended. And, um, you know, which, which, 
which means that there are things that uh, the church still needs to pray for, pray about, and prepare for in the future if we're going to want for ministry uh, to meet the needs of people where they are. Gotcha. And, and we're not just talking about it from that state. We're talking about how it's just not the traditional father mother role like it used to be. We're talking about my situation as a divorcee, yeah. uh, you know, a single father, talking about parents, not uh, father, not being in the home, uh, you know, uh, on a daily basis, but still is a parent, you know, uh, that, that's, mm -hmm. that's what, you know, just, just the non-traditional roles of the father, uh, or, uh, as compared to how, cause Reggie, uh, let, let's go ahead and bring Re Reginald in now. Uh, mm -hmm. Reginald, you, now you, you told us last week, how many children, because some people went on there, how many children you say you had? Uh, okay. I got two girls and three boys. Okay. And we and they range in age from 23 to 2. 23 to 2. And so with that being said, you have had to, and you have an always, well, no, you, your situation is a little different because you all your children have pretty much been in the home with you, correct? Uh, Not necessarily. Um, okay. My oldest daughter, she was in South Carolina along with my uh used to be my younger son, Jalen, for a while. But for the most part, Chance and Zay grew up with with two people in the household. Okay. Mm -hmm. so they grew up. And so how did how did you notice any any difference in the other two when they weren't living with you and they had to only see you on the weekends? Or how often were you able to see them? When well, they I mean, with you? that was one thing about being being a father. I had to make that sacrifice to be on the road like every weekend. So, but that was a choice that that I made to make sure, you know, I was there, whether it was for a teacher conference to eat lunch with my kids. So I had to make that sacrifice to be there. But, you know, looking on it now, I know it probably did, you know, present a, a issue uh, because, you know, it's one thing where your kids can wake up in the morning and, you know, say something or need something, and then you can go right on and, and take care of it. As mm -hmm. opposed to just say you, your kids are four hours away you know, you can't just pick up and get there in the blink of an eye. So, you know, that was that was something that I had to, you know, learn to to understand. So I definitely know it probably did play a major factor in some things, but I think they knew that, you know, I would be there if I could. And if I can't get there in, in the time they needed me to be there, I'm going to be there eventually. So, you know, that was one of the sacrifices I made, uh, even though physically I may have not been there. But, you know, they knew at the drop of a dime, I'm going to be there every weekend. I'm going to pick you up, bring you down here. So, I mean, you know, that was kind of the, the dynamic I had, you know, back then. So, And, I'm, and, I'm, and we're going to, and Corey, let, let's explore what he just said even a, a little bit more about that whole piece of that you're not there, you know, to, to handle immediate needs. Um, I, uh, that was a tough one for me after my divorce, I mean, because, and that's that's the detriment of divorce. You know what I'm saying? That especially when you don't have a choice in the matter. Mm -hmm. When you've been there all their lives, and you're able to, you know, they're in the room. They can say, "Daddy," and then you walk in there and automatically, what's going? You know, see what's going. I mean, I'm the type of person. I'm like, when I when I was growing up in my house, my daddy told. I never forget. I was 21, 22, and I was still at one point still living with my dad. He told me, "James, I can't sleep until you come home." You know, I I, I can't. You know, until everybody hits my door. And, and as a father. That was the same way I was with my children, you know, when I lived in the home. You know, I, I knew everything that was going on. I could put my finger on you. You know, I could I could protect you 
at a moment's notice. But when that opportunity is taken away through divorce and you still have the responsibility of being a protector, provider, you know, priest, all those types of things, for how have you been able to manage those dynamics, especially with you living in Kankakee for a long time and now living in, in New York and your children living in Arkansas? How how have you managed that? My predecessor's wife asked me a question, I guess about three years into my pastorate at Morningstar in Kankakee, Illinois. She asked me what was the hardest thing about pastoring um, in Kankakee or pastoring the church. And I think that she was asking me, um, was the church a difficult church to pastor? And I know that my response to her um, was um, something that she didn't expect. And how I answered that question was the hardest thing about me pastoring Morning Star is that it take it takes or it took me away from being physically present with my kids. Okay. Um, very hard, man. Very hard. Um, you know, when you when um, when you love your kids, you just want to be there. You just want to be there. You want to be there to protect them. You want to be there to guide them, to direct them. You want to be there to, you know, to to develop them, to watch how they respond to uh, the world around them, watch how they are analyzing certain issues and watch okay. how they are, you know, um, discerning of who true friends are. And just to see all of that, I missed out on a lot of that, um, you know, by not being physically present. Mm -hmm. um, and found, I found myself, um, praying for them more okay and um then it was a challenge because um my kids didn't have uh they were too young to have cell cellular phones okay and so they didn't have unrestricted access to me oh wow and um so i had to, to kind of wait till it was convenient for their mom you know um, and then sometimes I maybe would reach out and they, the kids were not with her because she was at work or doing other things. So I had to uh, pastor uh, kind of in silence or in isolation. I had to parent in isolation is what I'm trying to say, not pastor, but to parent okay. in isolation, being away from them. And so I found myself trying to to um, I just, you know, I told the Lord about all of this as I was experiencing it and praying for them and um, and, you know, and and really cherishing the time that, you know, I finally was with them and uh, or they with me, you know, mm -hmm. uh, whatever the case may be. But uh, it's possible. It can happen. My kids are good. They're saved. They're women. They're respectable. They have their heads on straight. I got one who graduated from college. I got another one who is in college. Um, and so, you know, they are, they are, they are not loose. Um, so, I mean, they're principled and um, yeah, so it, it can happen, you know, but, but I would be lying to tell you that it won't happen without some sort of challenges and some hurdles yeah. to overcome. But when you love them, 
when you love them, it doesn't matter. You know, you will do what is you will do everything in your power. That's true. That's you true. know, to to you know do what it you know do what's necessary to father them correctly. Gotcha. So, and, and now that you said that, because you said last week that uh, that you had, that, your, that your children had a good support system in the form of a stepfather along with their mother. Uh, Reg, I want to ask you, a, Reginald, I want to ask you a question. By your estimation, what is one thing mothers can do or stop doing to support the whole fatherhood experience? <clears throat> And I, when I answer that question, I'm thinking more. Hold on, so before you, before you, hold on, before you answer though. Wait, hold on, hold on, right quick, hold on. Ladies in the chat, I'm gonna ask you a question. <laughs> this is just a quick question. What do you think you can do, or stop doing? This is before Reggie answers, because I don't want to give, I don't want him to give the answer away. What can you do or stop doing, ladies in the chat and brothers in the chat too? Please answer the question. What can mothers do to do or stop doing to support? the whole fatherhood experience. All right, go, Reggie. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, I'm just thinking, like, in terms of me working in education and working with kids, a lot of times when, you know, you're dealing with with with, with young men that don't have a male figure uh, in their life, and then you have, um, you know, women are the only, only voice that they're hearing a uh, majority of the time. I mean, one thing I would ask them, you know, when they call and they always complain and don't be so quick to always take the side of the kid, okay. uh, you know, and that goes back to something Reggie was talking about in terms of discipline. Anytime you discipline a kid and they're not used to being disciplined, they're going to always run back and say, uh, you know, this guy's being hard on me. He's treating me differently. So that'll be one thing that I would challenge, you know, the females and women to do is just, you know, let, if a, if a guy is trying to teach that young man and definitely teach him the right way, let him accept that discipline. And don't be his bailout. Don't bail him out. That would be one of the, the main things for me. Okay. Okay. Same question. Same question, Corey. And ask it again, just for clarity. Uh, clarity. So it says, "What? Uh, what is one thing mothers can do or stop doing to support the fatherhood experience?" And I want the people in the chat to answer that question, please, ma'am, please, sir. What's one thing mothers can do or stop doing to support? the fatherhood experience? Um, I guess I would say allowing for adult issues between the adults to That's interfere good. with raising the child. That's good. That's good. Unpack that a little bit more for me if you would. Um, a lot of times the children are, are um, caught in the middle of a... Um, of a warfare between the adults, mm -hmm. and and each side knows that um, um, that the child is a way to get to the other party, mm -hmm. and and they use the, the the children as a weapon, you know, or or as a or as a tool to hurt the the other. And um, you know, some some parents um, poison the other parent, you know, okay. and and create um, you know hindrances to to the relationship being what it should be for the for the child's own welfare. 
And um, yeah, and so so in in the terminology of the courts, that divorce eventuates because of irreconcilable differences. Mm -hmm. So those irreconcilable differences should not be the child's, you know, it shouldn't be what the child has to deal with. They ought to, the, the, the adults ought to be adult enough, you know, to keep the children out of those things that led to divorce and do what is right for that child. You know, but if the hurt, if the hurt is still there, if the if the unforgiveness is still there, if the regret, the remorse, all those things are very active or in the forefront of the thinking of the individual, you know, it's just going to be rough. It's going to be tough for that child. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Let, let's, let's look at let's look at what some of the uh, people in the chat are saying. Uh, Lady Karen Hayes says, "Learn to be quiet." and allow fathers to have as much time with their children as possible. Resenia Gooden said, you put it up here, she said, remember that it's always about the child. Agreed. That's good, that's good. Let's see what uh, Shanika Muldrow, did I pronounce that right? Shanika Muldrow, she said, communication, communicate to gain a consensus amongst each other. Oh, that's really good before addressing the child to ensure we're on the same page at all times. Mothers and mothers and fathers, we need to present a unified front. Absolutely. My, my ex-wife and I were married for 20 years, and I think we might have had one argument in front of our kids. And that may be one, but we only had two or three the whole marriage, to be honest with you. But we just kept people out of grown folks, kept them out of grown folks' business. That's good, Miss Muldrow. Next one is, uh, Latasha Goodson says, stop talking negative about the father around the children. That's one. Listen, the world already says enough. You hear me? About black men, uh, men as it is. And here we are perpetuating some of those narratives, and that's just not a good thing to do. Miss Mordrow said again, tone is set at the top. If the mother and father are showing up as a team, through good and bad, the children will follow suit. They will follow suit. That's good stuff. Y'all, y'all don't need us. Y'all already got all this stuff now. Uh, Felicia Francis said, "Ladies, just allow fathers to love their children. It's not about the adults. Remove yourself from the children and fathers' relationship." Thanks, Pastor. That's what we got to do. We talked about that last week. The romantic, the romantic involvement is over. Stop trying to hold somebody hostage with the romantic. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't put it on the screen. Was from the um, Stop trying to hold somebody hostage because we're still holding on to feelings that used to be. That time has moved on. I respected the mess out of my ex-wife when she pulled us to the side because I wasn't ready. I ain't gonna lie, but she told the children, "Listen, we're still team Kirkland. We just live in same, separate houses." But we're Team Kirkland. We're still making decisions together. We're doing this together. We're doing that. Now, I ain't going to lie. I used to have my little moments, you know, when uh, I would call over there and they were all in the room together and they were doing something as a family that, you know, that uh, that we used to do together. Of course, I would have my moments. But as far as the culture that we tried to create for our children, we did as much as we could to insulate and protect them so that life would be as normal as possible. Even after, because guess what? They didn't make that decision. 
they, you know, they, they didn't, they didn't sign up to be here. So if mom and daddy didn't make it, then it's their, it's, it's our responsibility to still uh, put set life in such a way where the trajectory is going in the right direction. April Showers also said, what'd you say, April? April said, don't interfere when father is talking to child, stand by the father. And that's vice versa. I believe that. But I think Ms. Muldrow said it best. We talk together. We put together a plan. And then when we go before the children, we go before the children as what we say instead of what I say. And I think that's one of the biggest issues that we have when we have co-parenting is that the one that's doing the majority of the raising, she wants all of it. I said she, I shouldn't have said that because I'm not going to point the finger tonight. But we want all, we want to kind of exclude and just go ahead and kind of do things our own way. I got another question. Uh, Corey, this one is for you. All right. What what was the most surprising thing that you learned as a father that you learned about yourself during this whole fatherhood experience? Wow. What was the most surprising thing that I learned about myself? Um, well, again, there, there were times where, and especially because I was not um, physically with them for much of the, of, of their younger years, I felt, um, I felt um, helpless. Oh, wow. You know, um, because if any danger popped off, I wasn't there to circumvent it or to protect them. You know, so I guess what I'm saying to you is that um, I realized and I, and I hope that fathers will hear this, even if your children are with you, you need God's help. Mm. You need God's help. You know, you know, and I know that we are the ones who are the head of households. We are the ones, biblically speaking, we are the ones who um, should have, you know, answers and we are the ones who should be able to provide direction and and oftentimes fathers we don't have anybody to go to mm -hmm. and we are we are left alone trying to figure this thing out and so you know um i would just say you know to any father in that circumstance if you feel vulnerable and helpless because you are not present with with your child and if the ch if the child's in the house with you, please understand that you need God. Okay. You you need God to assist you to help you. You know you need you need God, you know that you can talk to, and that will provide direction and guidance to you from His Word, um, through your inner being, through the Holy Spirit that resides within you, and. Um, you know, you know, and, and then too, there's, there's no, there's no such thing as a perfect parent, you know, with, as you, as you said very early on in, into this session that their mistakes are going to be made. Absolutely. You know, we, you know, it's, as you think you said, OJT. Mm. Well, when the basis of that mistake is still love. That's, that's good. You know, yeah. The, yeah. the result when you're praying and looking toward God, it'll still turn out like it needs to turn out. Talk to me now. Yeah. I might send you an offering. What's your cash app on that one right there? When the basis 
the basis is still love. Y'all, hey, y'all need to tweet that. I don't, when the basis is still love, it turns out like it's supposed to. Is that what you just said? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. When the basis is y'all, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all in the chat, what y'all think about that? When the basis is still love, I'm right, I'm typing that, it still turns out the way it needs to. Uh. All right, Reggie, same question. What's, what's something that you learned about yourself? What was the surprising thing that you learned about yourself? Surprising thing that I learned, I think, uh, <clears throat> Like I said, growing up before, I didn't I didn't have a, a father father in my life like that. So I can't recall I ever had a chance to sit down and talk with anybody uh, about anything when it came to, you know, stuff I was dealing with or going through, you know, growing up in Appling, Georgia. So I think once I did have kids or whatnot, one of the biggest things was just learning how to to listen to them and talk to them about things that nobody talked to me about. So, I mean, just just being there for them, that was one of the things that surprised me the most. I mean, because like I said, I didn't know what type of father I was going to be. I knew what type of father I didn't want to be. Okay. So that just played a, a big part in that. I didn't want to have kids that they grew up and didn't know who their dad were or didn't didn't have that that person around, didn't have me around or didn't have me listening and giving them advice. But as you know, with kids, they're going to still make make decisions. They're going to do things that you don't agree with, but that's a part of them growing up and becoming young men and young women. So that was the biggest thing for me, just, just learning how to to be a father. I mean, because I was afraid when I first had uh, Xavier and whatnot, I didn't know what type of dad I was going to be. I mean, so, but like I said, I always knew what I didn't, what type of dad I did not want to be. So whatever yeah. I had to do to not be that dad, I knew I was going to do whatever I needed to do. So let's uh, let, let, let's 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 go because this, this is something that I've noticed with my children, Reggie, and with you having five. Uh, you said three girls, two boys. Uh, I'm sure you can relate to this. Uh, I, I, I I struggle with parents. Hey, I'm, I'm I'm stuttering. I I struggle with parents who raise children like a template. Um, and by my, I believe all children have different fingerprints. They have different thoughts. You know, they have different, you know, so with that being said, you couldn't raise Zay like you raised Chance. You know what I'm saying? Or you couldn't raise, uh, I, well, I forgot the other boy's name. Jalen, I couldn't yeah. raise Jalen like I raised Zay. You couldn't raise Zay like you couldn't raise, like you raised Zay. Yeah, and, 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 I learned, and I learned that. Okay, that, that's what I want to talk about. Did you think you could at first? Well, I mean, I'm always been an athletic person, so you okay. know, of course, when you have guys, you have boys. First thing as a dad, you know, they're going to be this superstar athlete. They're going to be this. They're going to be that. That was my thought process because I was all athletic. That's what I. Okay. That's what I did. That's what I was around. That's what they saw. Jalen, I mean, if you know Jalen, if you ever heard him speak and heard him talk. Morehouse man. He's definitely uh, different than me and me and Zay when it comes to just outgoing, how outgoing he is, his his speech and things of that nature. But when he was younger, and he he could probably tell you if if he was on, but I thought he he thought he had to live up to what Zay did in order for okay. me to be happy. I know okay. we didn't had those discussions numerous times. So, but as I got older and I understood, like Jalen, you know. 
this that's Zay Lane. This is not your lane. Choose your own lane. Okay. You know, regardless of what you do, I'm going to be proud of you. You don't have to be this athlete. Now, God knows I did try to make him one. <laughs> so we're not going to say I didn't. But like I said, as he, as we got older, I understood you, this is your lane and this is where you want to go. Now, if you choose to be this person, I'm going to do everything I can to get you in the, put you in the right place, give you all the training you need and whatever you want to do. But, you know, Jalen wanted to do something totally different. Wanted to be on Morehouse. He was he more into politics, things of that nature. So, you know, I'm, I support that 100%. That's good. That's real good. That's good. And I ain't gonna lie, I had to learn the difference because Trey was, you can say what you want to say what you want to do. Trey, Trey, it rolled off his back. Trey wasn't emotional. You know, you watched Trey for years. He had all run and walk around the ride, walk around the bases and wouldn't crack a smile. I saw him pump his fist after hitting a home run in college for the first time. I was like, who is that? You know, because he just, but Kennedy, if you said the wrong thing to her, that lip would stick straight out. You know, you, you didn't have to spank her. You could just raise your voice enough to Kennedy and she was done. Now, Mackenzie, shoot, she's emotional. She's going she gonna to give it back to you like you gave it to her. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, she doesn't, that's my baby. She just finished high school, what, in December when she's supposed to be finished in May. You know what I'm saying? Just totally different person that marches to the beat of her own drum. But what I learned is, is that all of them can be parented differently. You know what I'm saying? I handle them differently. I talk to them differently. I fight my battles. I pick my battles with them differently. Uh, Brasenia Goodson, Goodson said, did I say about no, Brasenia Gooden said, I'm saying, if I say y'all's name wrong, just let me know I said it wrong. And she said, the foundation can be the same, but you learn to parent each child according to their needs and different personalities. That's right. But right. And echoing what she said, she is right. But it's the mature parent and the cognizant parent, the aware parent that recognizes the differences mm -hmm. in those children. And then begin. What do you think about that, uh, Pastor Moore? No, I agree with that statement wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. You know, that no child is is the same. Mm -hmm. You know, and so, you know, and I know that our, our forefathers used to say, I love y'all all the same. And I know I know what their intent was in saying that, you know, um, but each person is different. And so that that love is going to require um, a different different approach. It's going to, you know, a different uh, methodology you know, to reach that child, to give that child what they need. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's, it, it puts the parent always, you know, um, in adjusting to what that particular, you know, I, you know, I, when I think about my grandparents having nine and I know their, their personalities, you know, what they had to be to each child must've been tiring. Wow you know, what they had to, how they had to adjust to the growth level of this one, to the growth level, to the maturity of this one, to this one who's in this grade, but to, but then to this one who's in this grade, to this one who's a, you know, female, this one who's a male, and dealing with all of those personalities, you know, and as Versenia said, the foundation, you know, which is on Christ, you know, all of us are, you know, Christian, but, adapting and adjusting that to the catering that to the specific child can be a very tiring task mm -hmm. yeah but it's a noble task 
and it's a responsible. It's definitely our responsibility to do it that way. Reggie, Reggie, back at you right quick. 23 and 2. How are you parenting this this go round? I'm going to say second time around because you've got some more in between there. But because I know Chance had, I, I watched how Chance had you locked up. I mean, you handled Chance like, I mean, like fine China. You know what I'm saying? That was your baby, you know what I'm saying, at the baseball field and everything. And now you got a two-year-old? How is how is that dynamic? I saw you shake your head, too. I ain't lying. Well, I mean, I think, like, with Ryan, my two-year-old, I mean. He took a long break, man. take a long break. Yeah, I mean, I think with, with Ryan, uh, just, I mean, even it's only been two years right now, but just seeing his mannerism and how, and how he's growing. Okay. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's a boy. Okay, I didn't, okay, okay. okay. And, you know, and then just comparing him to my other kids, like, you know, I see bits and pieces of, of them and everything he does. So, you know, it's just, it's going to be interesting this time around just to see, uh, you know, the development. Uh, you know, I definitely know some things to do and some things not to do. Okay. Uh, so, you know, that's going to be different. Um, <clears throat> and then he reminds me so much of Zay just athletic wise because he's so athletic. I at mean, two? this is just at two. I'm just telling you like things that I see him do and, you know, and, and things of that nature. But he still, he has mannerism of, of all the kids, Zay, Jalen, Chance. So I'm... I, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I just hope I'm here to see it and I'm able to, you know, witness his growth. So that's one thing. But, I mean, you know, just starting over, the, the scariest part is just how you're going to be a parent in today's society because so much thing, so much is able to be introduced at an early age and they're going to be exposed to so much as a parent. You know, what I may not believe in, you know, the world believes in stuff that we don't believe in. But as a parent, you know, you're trying to prepare them to go out in the real world. Uh, like Pastor said before, you know, some of the things may not be biblically correct, but nowadays you can't really say that because if you do, you're going to be victimized or you're going to be, you know, deemed that you, you're teaching the child wrong or whatnot. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how with him growing up in today's society, how how parents are going to be able to actually really teach him some of the old ways and kind of incorporate some of the new ways and, and bringing him along. So it's going to be interesting. We'll see. Uh, and I, cause I'm, I, how old are you? 47, 45 are you? No, nah, I'm 45. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm making you too old. Yeah. So I, cause I'm just, I'm just looking at that 45, that 45 year old eye versus that 18 year old eye, you know what I'm saying? Or that 17, yeah. that, 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 cause, uh, cause I know it's a whole lot more patient. That, and that's one thing that, that I, I would like to believe, because I watched Kevin, you know, we had Flight on last week, and Flight, uh, I'm watching how he deals with his three-year-old. He's so patient, you know what I'm saying? And, and the things that I wasn't patient with then that might have raised my voice, I stopped raising my voice, I think, as I got a little, as they got a little older, you know what I'm saying? And right now, you can't get me to raise my voice. I promise you can't. You can't. When they grown now, bro, that's, that's, that's on them. That's on them. Hey, uh, uh, Corey, uh, Ashley Granberry, that's my co-host on my Monday Night Live show. Uh, when it's not when we're not doing the voice club or the men only, she has a question. I want you to touch that tackle that question from your perspective. She says, "Do you think that parents were actually parenting their children differently back then?" She said, "Because she thinks the dynamics have changed, and the way things are now may play a part in how we have to parent now." So, do you think they parented them a little different back then? Um, 
Well, it depends on, I would like a little more uh, uh, clarity to the question. I think my, I, I, I think mine parented back differently back then uh, than we, than I did. You know what I'm saying? It was just, we just did what we, it was just go to school, come home. You know, it was just, it was kind of mundane. You know, well, we live in a, we live in a changing world. Okay. You know, when I, um, man, when I was a child, there wasn't one TV in the house. Okay. You know, I remember when we had a black and white TV and my grandparents, my grandmother used to, whenever we wanted to be highfalutin, she'd go get this little piece of plastic laid across the stream that would make some color come out of it. You know, uh, when I came along, there were no computers. I remember, I remember when my mother brought a, a computer home from school because she needed to do some work at the house. And I got a chance to, you know, to peck around on a computer. When there were no cellular phones, there weren't there, there was no social media. So yeah, we we have more to contend with now. And so yes, we have more to monitor and more to to uh watch and survey, you know, and and um you know to um you know to you know to protect our children from so yeah it's 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 different in that regard but i i think that when i was uh, uh deciphering the question um there is also differences spiritually um uh in that a lot of our families now uh don't have that biblical or christian foundation that's different. Um, the communal concept of the village raising the child yeah. is now different. Um, yeah, so I didn't really know exactly what our sister Ashley was, um, what, what she was targeting. But, um, but yeah, we, we have to, when I taught in the, in the Little Rock School District, the phrase that kept coming up in the teacher's training and professional development was monitor and adjust. You would always hear that monitor and adjust, monitor and adjust. And so uh, parents, you know, we, we have to do that now. You know, gotcha. uh, we have to monitor, you know, and, and then make, yeah, and make adjustments. Yes, sir. That's good. Uh, all right, uh, Ashley, uh, she said, what I'm saying is that if you were, you were two or 12, you all had to do it. It was much of a, it wasn't much of a difference if that makes sense. Y'all in the chat, answer answer Ashley's question, if you will. Do you all think that parents parent differently now versus back when we were growing? I'm 49. Pastor said he's 452. 51, man. 51, 51. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we were right there in uh, Red Zone at 49. So we right back in that 1970s, 71, 72, in that range growing up. So some of those on the chat now that how you were parented versus how you parent children. I ain't gonna lie, I, I had to make some adjustments in my parenting style. I mean, I was much more lax than my ex was. My ex was much more of a this more she wanted to be more of a disciplinarian. I kind of was flexible as far as let them do what they do as long as they don't kill themselves, kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Let them kind of find themselves, uh, let them figure it out. Uh my son, more than anything, I wanted to teach him how to think. Um, and as long as he was thinking, I was cool. If he called me with a conversation and said, Dad, you know what I was thinking, that was enough for me. 
You know, I, I was good at that point. I ain't even really listened to the context of what he said at that point. I just, as long as he thought he was man, he had to be man enough to to, to live with whatever his thoughts were. And if he if it didn't work out, guess what? You know, he got that lesson. He, he got the power of experience. It doesn't nothing to beat the power of experience. And so trial and error has been good. Now, my my middle child, a little bit different. I, you know, I, I'll talk her through some things a little bit more. You know, the baby, I let her go do what she's going to do. As long as she don't burn the house down, like Ashley just said. Uh, but she's different. You know, I find it's hard to motivate exceptional children. You know what I'm saying? So you got to kind of keep them busy or, you know, or you got to make them think it's their idea. But but my thing is, I handle them all different based on my response, based on my relationship with those children. Because like you just said, uh, what you say, Corey, you said, uh, you know, I love them all the same. No, you love them all different. <laughs> you love them the way you love them. And it don't mean you love either one either more or love one less. You just love them how you love them. And that's okay. That That's okay. Miss Muldrow, she says, from what I'm seeing, a lot of parents are parenting differently than how they were raised for various reasons. Society, personal beliefs, and technology definitely play their part. I agree with that. Anybody else in the chat? What do y'all think? Are parents parenting differently? And if so, how are they doing it? Like, for instance, I'll give you another example. My son is real good with this whole Forex thing, trading uh, currency and all that kind of stuff. I don't know anything about that. Nothing. So I couldn't have led him to that. I couldn't have shown him how to do that. You watch Corey and Reggie. You see so many people who try to raise mini-me's. Now, they tell me that a mini-me is somebody who looks like me or kind of has my mannerisms of growing up. But now some of them try to script their children's lives. They want them to do this. They want them to go to college. But they went to college. They want to do that. You know, I have all this. Instead of letting them go the way. Like my baby. She she told me the other day she made a 1200 on SAT. So college wasn't a it wasn't a problem getting in college, but she don't want to go right now. <laughs> and guess what I said? Cool. Don't waste our money. Don't waste your time. Don't do it. I was 38 when I got my first degree. And I got about two, two and a half, almost three now. You know what I'm saying? So everybody kind of does their thing, their way. It's our job just to kind of help them navigate. Now, like you said, we ain't gonna let, we're going to keep control, as you said last week, Corey. We're going to definitely keep control, and I'm going to let them uh, run around in the confinements of a certain, you know, uh, uh, box that I let them run around in. Don't get me wrong, because I'm like I said, I'm gonna make them think it's their idea all day long. But I do believe that the way we parent our children has changed. You can even see that evidence in how, like Reggie said earlier, how he handles his grandchildren versus how he handles his own children. James, you know it's concerning, man. I'm speaking now. Um, as a pastor. Okay. Um, and yeah, I, I agree that, you know, I, I don't I don't really understand these modern parents who somehow look back on the discipline that they were given and have found um, the difficulty therein to be an excuse or a reason for why they don't expect the same out of their children. Okay. I don't, I don't, I don't understand that man. And, you know, and, and this thing, and I know this is not about the church, but you, you, you got a churchman on this line, which oh, is, that's why I got you on here, Doc. Me you know, that, and it, but it's fathering too, you know, this idea that I don't make my children's go, my, my kids go to church. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
I leave it up to them. And and you know that that is that's very concerning because um see I don't I don't I don't understand how a parent can can think that way. Um as I said last week, what drives me pastorally, what drives me parentally, not in not in a specific order, but and what what drives me as relates to my 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 educational goals and is my end okay is the fact that i know that my days on earth are numbered and and it it is concerning to me how why a parent would come to church and leave their children at home they are receiving what they need from god but you got your you got your kids at home who are watching the internet who are on their phones, who are looking at porn, who are talking to strangers that, that, they, that they don't even know. They may be being ghosted or catfished or whatever, and they're being fed by all of these worldly ideologies and perspectives and, and all of this, you know, and they and that child is not getting what they need from the way. It's just concerning to me. And then what happens when the parent is incapacitated? What happens when when that the parent, you know, um, God forbid, you know, is is unable to parent because they are sick or in the nursing home or hospitalized or what happens when that child when that parent dies? Mm-hmm. You know, and all of the foundation and the understanding and information and development that they could have given that. I mean, it's like, it's just like you're pushing your kids to the wolves. It's, it's, it's like you just giving them over, you know, to be a sitting duck as a prey for the enemy, you know? And um, I don't, you know, I, I do not <laughs> understand that. I, I don't understand it, you know? And, uh, and, I, and it's because somewhere along the, the way those parents didn't see or understand what the church is really about. This is not like a social gathering, some place where we go to come together to read a scripture and to clap our hands and to shout and to get a, you know, to get moments of ecstasy and euphoria, you know, uh, you know, which is the the the, the outflow of the outgrowth of what happens when you're in the presence of God. That ain't what it's about. You know, it is putting into your child scripture so that they so that that scripture can can mold their thinking so that their thinking then can uh biblical thinking can dominate their will so that they can make right answers when they come to tough places in life and when they have to when they're dealing with people and situations and scenarios they can you know navigate their their way through that biblically you know, and have and live, live, you know, a victorious Christian life, you know, rather than trying to understand what you need to do because you were ill-equipped because they wouldn't take you to church or they wouldn't share, share with you, you know, what the word of God says. And I, I, and and I, and and that's, that's definitely a paradigm I wanted to explore uh, as a pastor and you having to be a spiritual parent slash spiritual father 
to so many and many of them being parents themselves. I can see how that would bother you. But to, but also to answer your question on another level uh, or to address your question on another level, because uh, so many people despise some of the things, some of their upbringing. You know what I'm saying? I got I still have things I wrestled with in my childhood. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. and I'm not going to. I'm not gonna put nobody on front street, you know, and, and, and all that kind of stuff, because you never know who's listening. Uh, but I do have issues, you know what I'm saying? And I wouldn't do to my children some of the stuff that was done to me. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And because that wasn't done to me, because that was done to me, I have the mind, I mean, I probably spanked my, and I didn't get many spankers growing up. I wish I would get spankers, but uh, I didn't get many spankers growing up. But after a certain age, I probably, you probably count on one hand how many times I, spank, I had to spank my children. You know what I'm saying? Because I just didn't have to do it. You know, uh, I mean, I'll give one thing. For instance, when I used to get in trouble in growing up, if I made a bad grade, my mom would make me stay in my room for nine weeks. With my stepmom, make me stay in my room for nine weeks. Man, that was solitary confinement. That was abuse to me. I don't, you know what I'm saying? I, it took me to getting 40 years old to realize I had been abused in my childhood. And I'm saying that jokingly a little bit, <laughs> but I mean it to some degree as well. Okay, so I, I get it. Some people despise how they were brought up and because they have that despise. Because you got, and, and this is what I want you to, we said this earlier when Reggie was on the show, there's a, there's a very fine line between discipline and abuse. And so many times what, what people call discipline is abuse. I was having a conversation with a young lady the other day, and she said she got so upset with one of her girlfriends one time because her girlfriend who was raising a son slapped that boy in the face. And she did it in front of other people. And she said they are she said they almost uh, they almost got to fight me because of what she did. Hold on, yeah, give me one hot second. Uh she I can you can still hear me though. They almost got to fight me because that girl slapped that baby in the face because she totally emasculated that child, right? And so Therefore, of course, if you experience something like that, I'm having to plug my computer up. Uh, if you experience something like that, of course you're gonna, you know, you, you're gonna make sure you don't do that type of thing. You know what I'm saying? So there's, I don't think there's one, a one, one panacea or one, one size fits all answer for that question. You know what I'm saying? But I agree. If you go into church and you leaving your children at home, that 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 does, because uh, evidently you you find value in the church. So if you find value in the church. You should be presenting that same value to your children. I, I definitely understand that. Let's see. Uh, let's read what Ladon said because she answered the question about parents being raised, parents raising their children differently now. She said, "Absolutely, parenting is different now compared to when I was raised. As for me and my children, the morals are the same, but you have to adjust based on the individual child and what motivates the key word. What motivates them to be their best selves? That's great." Ladon, that's uh that that that's that's really 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 good. So uh, answering that kind of uh, throwing that question at you, Reggie, um, knowing how you have the traditional way that you were brought up by your grandparents and uh, the way you kind of implemented some of those things within the context of your experience with your children as a subliminal father to so many children at a high school, how do you uh, implement some of those same traditional values knowing the differences, you know, in how children are raised now? 
Uh, just basically, like I said, you have to kind of know know your kids. You got to know your kids. And like I said, I like I know, like just knowing my kids and being around my kids, when you see them physically or you see their mannerism, you know when something is wrong or something is not right. Okay. I mean, you know, they can put on a good front for everybody else or whatnot sometimes, but when you when you are around them and you see them, you know when something is not right. And I mean, growing up with my grandparents, you know, we we was I was taught rather you don't let anyone see you, you know, see you see you down. You don't want anybody to see you, you know, as a man anyway, not for the females, but for, as a man, you didn't, you know, want anybody to see you at your your lowest point or to see you vulnerable. And when when back then when they say vulnerable, that was more so showing your emotions, you know, crying and things of that nature. So, you know, we, I was taught that, you know, you didn't, you don't, you don't show emotions as a, as a man. Now with growing up and just learning how things are today, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I do think you have to be a man on some occasions, but I wouldn't say don't show your emotions. I mean, just like you was talking about, like with Trey or whatnot, you know, hitting home runs and don't show emotions. You know, my kids was pretty much the same way. I mean, strike out 20 kids, you hit a home, you know, we didn't show any emotions. That was just, that's what you were supposed to do. Now, looking back on it, I probably would have wanted him to be a little more emotional. Absolutely. Uh, but so like now, you know, like I said, I understand the importance of, you know, of of those kids showing their emotion and just listen. A lot of times they just want you to listen. So if you're listening and you just give them a shoulder to to lay on or to cry on and just to let them know that you care. A lot of times, you know, you, you'll get a breakthrough without even knowing you got a breakthrough. That's good. That's good stuff right there, uh, Rich. I mean, and let me ask this one, because I, I know you at a high school and then them little jokes, they smelling themselves now, so they think they're growing all that kind of stuff. As a parent, how, and I, cause I, I watched it, Corey, I used to go to the North Cobb high school football games, right? And my, because my daughter was a cheerleader and whatnot, so I would walk around. Every time I heard a cat child cussing, I'd be like, no, stop cussing. Stop cussing. Do your mama know you cuss? Stop cussing. Stop cussing. I'm all night long, I'm telling kids to stop this cuss. Because that's just, that's the daddy in me. You know, and I don't like to hear no little kid cussing all the time like that. I know you see it all day long in high school. Yeah. How do you handle that? You, you know what? A lot of the kids know. And, and to say, when I say that, Coaches get more respect from the kids than the actual teachers from the majority of the time. But when I say that, the majority of the time, too, coaches are, are the ones that they see caring the most and pushing them to do the most. So they have a little more respect for those, for those, for those, for those people. And that so I see that a lot. I mean, even just like if you, you walk out, you know, they that's that's like their second language. Everything is a cuss word in between every word. But the respect part of it. Oh, I'm sorry. My bad. I didn't see you standing there. At least you acknowledge that you know I'm here. That's good. That's you know, good. so if you go to a game, you know that's all they're going to be doing is like you'll look around. Wow, y'all really? But I think nowadays they, I ain't gonna say they've been taught, but they, they think that it's okay to to say things of that nature. They don't think it's disrespectful. That's one part. They haven't been taught that it's disrespectful, you know, to do that around grown people. And I think that's where, you know, the disconnect comes in. They hadn't been taught that that's disrespectful. Because if it was, you wouldn't have so many kids doing it. You're right. You're right. Man, I wish I had them clapping a second. That's good. They did, They don't, especially when they're getting cussed out at home all the time. Mm -hmm. And everything, every rap song they hear is a cuss word. 
And everything on the internet is a cuss word. Listen to what Corey said. Corey Myers. Uh, listen what he said. He said, when I was a child, we were to be seen but not heard. Because of the challenges and amount of information the youth are being exposed to today, they need to be heard and we need to be a place where they are open to share and ask questions without fear or judgment. Man, that's good, Corey. We got it. We, we have to. Uh, we have to because you know what? These kids know a whole lot more than we know, and they got access to more. Now, they might not have no seasoning now. I had some salt the other day. That salt it wasn't salty at all. I didn't understand that. It seemed like it had lost its flavor. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but some of us got certain types of seasoning that these kids just don't have. They got information that they can't differentiate, they can't disperse. And that's what they need us to help them do is to help them get to a place where they can make good decisions and all of those types of things. And that's our responsibility as fathers. And that's what I wanted to really hone in on tonight is our universal nature of fatherhood. You know, we uh, Corey is responsible for Callie and, Cor- and uh, Chloe. Uh, what's their ages and difference? Difference in ages, I mean. Uh, about four to five years. Four, okay, four to five years in difference. And, uh, but th- those are your responsibilities. But parenting them has taught you how to parent others in a certain sense because you have other you have grown children you have young children you got to dedicate babies you got to bury people you got to handle families when it comes time uh for for bereaved families and all those types of things but that nature as a father begins to translate into your pastorate uh, corey it translates into your position as an athletic director slash educator uh, uh, cause you, it's just gonna automatically make you love children, regardless. You know what I'm saying? I, mean, I, I don't see how you can love your children but don't love other children. I just, that just don't that don't make sense to me. I can't I can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, I mean that's why I'm at the baby football game. I never will forget it was one boy. He had dreads and gold teeth and all this stuff. He about to fight four boys. Now, Rich, we out in the suburbs. First of all, these little boys. The four, they didn't even know how to sag. They were sagging. They were about this far with these sagging. So that let you know their mom and daddy they really didn't let them sag. So they had to sneak their pants down a little bit when they got out the house, right? But this other boy was a straight thug. He about to fight four of them, right? And so we, I, I helped break up the fight. I walked him over to the side. I started having a conversation with him, right? And so when I talked to him, I said, man, where are you from? He said, East St. Louis. I said, East St. Louis? I said, you a killer. And you finna fight them little boys over there? That ain't even a challenge. Why would you go to jail for that? And boy, when I broke him down like that, he started laughing. And that's said, man, let me I said, you know why I'm talking to you? He said, why? I said, because I got a son. And man, I don't even know your name, but I love you. And the last thing I want to see you do is go to jail tonight over some bull, over fighting some little bitty boy. Are you serious? His girlfriend broke down to crying. He's smiling. He just happy somebody talking to him. Why? Because that's the universe. That's my universal nature as a father. That's my job to step in. And when I see disorder as a man, I'm gonna come in and bring calm to chaos. I mean, them white, those white. Now it was one that is. I gotta give coach, uh, one of the coaches, white coach there. He now he don't want he don't want to lock nobody up. He's gonna try to break up the fight. Y'all go this way. Y'all go that way. But a lot of them they ready to lock you up in a heartbeat. They don't care nothing about you. As soon as you are something that looks like a threat or something that can't be controlled, as somebody said a moment ago, like you said, a man is always one who's in control, who doesn't 
show his emotion, all those types of things. We would talk that growing up. As soon as they see something that looks like it has the potential of being out of control, their way to control it is try to lock it up as soon as possible. I wasn't going to let that happen. I'm a man. And there was black boys in the neighborhood, black young boys and young kids. I had to step in. And I would do it a million times out of a million because that's just my responsibility. You remind me of another James who was a tele television father on Good Time, James Evans. There was one episode where Mad Dog shot I, JJ. I just saw that yesterday, the other day. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw that episode. The other and uh, James just couldn't wait to get to him because he's going to break his finger. Break he took those cinnamon sticks with him in his pocket whenever Mad Dog would say something crazy. He would just take out a cinnamon stick and break it, you know, saying, this is what I'm going to do to your finger as soon as we get out of this courtroom. Uh -huh. And so, but then as James kept observing, his he uh, his mother, who was Donna, which was, Donna was, uh, well, I'm calling Fred her Donna Fred. because she was Donna on Fred's son. Yes, sir. Yeah, so Donna had a son on another show, Mad Dog, and, uh, and uh, James said it, said that listening and paying attention, and found out that Mad Dog's issue was that he didn't have a father. Absolutely. And so when the court uh, case was over and dismissed, and Donna was talking to her son, and and um, you know Mad Dog was saying, "I'm gonna take care of my little brother. I ain't gonna do like Dad, who left me and left you, and you know he got me." And so James heard all this, and he, you know, his heart broke. And instead of instead of breaking Mad Dog's finger, he gave him a big hug. He sure did. You know, and was at the point of tears. And uh, Florida was happy, you know, that James' rage was gone because, you know, J.J. had been shot. J.J. survived. It wasn't a serious wound, but it was a wound nonetheless. And um, James said uh, to Florida, what kind of father am I to feel sorry for the well, the border shot, shot my son, yes, sir. and and she said the right kind, James. That's it. You know, mm -hmm. and so I'm speaking to this to this reality of uh, of when fatherhood supersedes your own children. Absolutely. And you see the there was this when I taught at uh, Maplevale Mac in Middle School in Little Rock. There was this boy who had who earned a reputation for cutting up in class and all that. But there was another fella at the school named uh, C. Ramon Morris who had earned a reputation for, you you know, it ain't going on in my class. Yeah. And so uh, this fella ended up in my class. And uh, he tried it, he pushed it, you know, and uh, over the course of time, you know, what changed this boy's behavior, what changed his behavior, I, I never will forget this, was uh, when I told him um, he had he had done something good and that, that became a reason for me to praise his progress rather than okay. to accentuate all the negative. And uh, I told him, I told him, you are you a good kid. You're a good kid, and uh, said you got some you got some stuff going on, but you're a good kid, and uh, and I like you. Mm. Told him that in front of the class, and man, from that day 
own. This kid would just want to be around me. Yeah. You spoke right into him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he would walk, you know, way out of his way just to walk by my class, just so, just to, to speak to Mr. Morris. And so Mr. Yeah, Morris could, now he, you know, this is a hard cat, you know, a little hard little, little fella. And one day he walked close enough, he, you know, reached his hand out to shake my hand. I just pulled him in, gave him a hug and hit him on the side of his head, you know, and just held him there. That kid broke, man. Wow. That kid broke. And uh, every day he was going to come, you know, um, so then he was torn between living up to his reputation. See, because acting bad gave him some notoriety. Well, awesome. so he didn't want to lose that. He was trying to maintain the bad boy status, but he was also trying to be, he didn't want being a good kid to cause him to be forgotten about in the school. Wow. <laughs> and so the teachers would, uh, you know, I find out stuff would happen. They would just say to me, Mr. Morris, uh, you know, so-and-so, you know, did this in my class today. And I know that, you know, he really admires you and would you talk to him? And so, you know, and I would talk to him. And so my impact on him began to be beyond my class. Wow. You know, and it was in other classes and, you know, and so it got to the point where the principal found out and whenever he had a behavior issue, you know, they would send him to my room. You know, in class, I tell him just just sit over there, and it got to the point to where, <laughs> I, it got to the point to where he didn't want to disappoint Mr. Morris. Isn't that something? You know, it was, and it reminded me of my my grandfather. Man, my grandfather one time, I was walking outside with him, and my grandfather was he he, was, he worked full time at the at the cotton mill, which was behind the house, about two blocks. And um, he was a district treasurer in the district association. He was a was a deacon in the church. I mean, he had a full plate raising all these kids, cutting grass at the church, and and you know cutting seniors' yards. I mean, he was just. And my grandfather was tired, and I volunteered to help to do something that I saw him looking at. You know, he had sighed. You know, like it's just too much work. To, so I volunteered to do it, and. Uh, and when I should have been doing it, should have done it, the weather was pleasant, the, the 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 supplies were there, and I'm in the house watching TV. Man, my grandfather, <laughs> my grandfather um stood over me and said, I thought you said you was gonna paint the side of the house court. And he just that man whooped me with words. Oh wow. You know, and I felt, I mean, I wanted him, listen, I, I, it got to a point, I wanted him to go get the belt and just swing it, you know, because these words are too tough here, you know. And uh, and it got the same way with this young man. Mm. That, you know, he it got to be where he didn't want to disappoint me because I'm holding him accountable to the good that I know is in him. Okay. And, uh and uh, I lost contact with him. You know, it was basically just that school year when I had, you know, an opportunity to to reach him, to try to impact his life. I don't know where, where I'd love to hear from him today, um, but I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I lost contact with him altogether, but I pray and hope that that small window that I had that whole year that I was able to affect him. And so I am speaking again to the fact that you know, when you have a 
a, a fatherly manner about yourself. It's not just your kids. Yeah, yeah you will do for for kids that don't quote unquote belong to you. That's good. That's great. And Reg, you look when he was talking about that whole scenario, you look like you could straight relate to what he was saying. Is that did I did I see that right in your face? Yeah, you I mean, especially like um when it comes to, you know, like I said, with teachers most of the time, a lot of the, the kids that act out in the classroom are acting out for a reason. Um mm -hmm. but you know, the first thing they want to do is throw them out and you know, or try to embarrass them in front of everybody else, but you know, that goes back to what Pastor was saying before. You know, they always send those kids down to the coaches. Um, go down here. Or the black men. Yeah, go down with go down there to your coach. Go down here with that. You know, kids gonna come tell you what what you do. I was eating a Starburst. You know, something something simple like that. Uh but you know, same thing, man. Come on in here, get your work done. You sit down, you know, you have good conversations. Uh I mean, <clears throat> and a lot of times like when things go wrong in the community or in the neighborhood or you know, stuff happen. You know, the principal and the police, they come to us. I mean, I know y'all can get this information, uh, see what happened, see what's going on, see can we stop anything from happening. Because those kids tell us what's going on. They come and communicate because we listen and we, yeah. we pay attention. And yeah. we, you know, we try to tell them, you know, you're going to give them advice, but at the end of the day, they still going to do what they think is right. But then they'll come back and say, you know what, I should have listened. You was right. It's not worth it. But they don't get that a lot of times. So that's right. the biggest thing. Like when they hear somebody and they, and it shows because kids know when you just putting on or when you you pretending and you don't really care. You're just doing it because it's part of your job as opposed to them coming in and just talking mm -hmm. to you mm -hmm. and just sitting there, you know, talking about anything and then just being realistic about it. Uh, a lot of times you try to sugarcoat a lot of stuff for the kids. You got to be realistic. I mean, yeah. because now, I mean, things are happening at such an early age. You can't can't sugarcoat it because what you telling them, they can go right on the Internet and find something different from what you're yeah. saying. So that's the biggest thing, man. Just like, like pastor was saying, just somebody to listen and show them that you care. And I mean, you'll be surprised how many calls I get, how many texts I get, um, you know, thank you coach. I need this. Or even I'm hungry tonight or, you know, and you sending money to kids, you know, making sure they got, you know, money to eat or whatnot, whether, you know, they, they, they trying to pull like the kids say now they trying to finesse you coach. <laughs> but, uh, but at the end of the day, like I said, you know, they, they know where my heart is. And if I'm doing it out of the, the good of my heart, then you know, I'm, I'm I'm okay with it. So that's good, man. That's that, that's that's real good. That, that's that's the thing about it. As parents, we don't care when we feel like it. You know what I'm saying? You can't just parent when you feel like it. You, don't parent, you. you gotta be consistent, man. That's 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 one thing that children need. Especially earlier in life, a structure, a certain for a form a form of structure, and a whole lot of consistency. It, it's been some good comments, and we're about to wind our comments. I told y'all I normally have a little lesson on the side, but that's normally my plan B. <laughs> so I haven't touched any of the lesson that I wanted to do tonight. But uh, well, no, none of the thoughts, and that's okay because I wanted to really paint the picture of this universal father. Uh, Philipsia said something. Uh, I was raised with an extended family and I had a village. We had to respect all adults. She learned from all the adults around her. Today, the adults want to be as cool as the children so they don't parent. They just, hold on, I'm trying to read all this. They just want, I mean, they just want to hang out. Uh, where is that? 
they just want to hang out oh, with the young people today. A lot of parents in my generation are not responsible, so they don't put the work in. I feel we all need our community village to help us raise our children. Parents, pastor told us in church, teach your children to stand up when the Bible is being read. I can't, it doesn't give me the rest of her comment. But, uh, but yeah, well, everything she said is right. Everything is right. But this day, a lot of people don't want you talking to their kids. Now, LaDon, LaDon said something I think is uh, key, too. LaDon said the lack of respect from adults was a hard thing for my oldest to understand in grade school. As parents, we allow our boys to have feelings and ask questions when they don't understand something that they would be disciplined for. I had to explain to a principal that I, that him asking you why is not being disrespectful. Uh, how can we expect children to thrive in a society when they have not been taught that it's okay to express themselves in a respectful manner? You're right. You're right. That's one of the biggest things with especially black boys is that they, they try to control them before uh, they get out of hand. And, uh, mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's one of their biggest fears. They want to keep calm before there's chaos. Uh, Corey, Corey Meyer said he agrees we need to give children, uh, give our children all the tools they need to grow strong enough to sustain the winds of change in the world. We do that. And fathers definitely help. I think fathers really help to navigate that. I love, I mean, I love my sisters and I think my sisters do a great job, but I think that fathering adds another element to it because we kind of, Corey was saying something earlier, earlier when he was talking about, you know, you teach them to analyze and to look at something a certain way. And that, that, that's different. That's a difference. You know, that, that's a difference. And that's okay. That, that, that's okay. That's why I think we need both parents. We definitely need both parents in the children's lives uh, to give them both sides. You know, I mean, it's hard. It's hard for a woman to raise a boy to be a man. It, it's hard. You know, she can raise them, no doubt. She can she can give him all the tools necessary, all that. But it's hard to raise him to put that. Like I used to always say with my son, I, I had to put that dog in. Him. I had to put that dog in him because that that's just what I was doing. I, I'm I'm trying to get off y'all because we've been on for two hours already, and I, I know Corey's ready to go to bed. Uh, Deborah Fortune said, "Caring is a powerful virtue." Uh, uh, oh, there you go. Here you go. Tiffany Gray said, especially when there should be discipline along with a lesson. The child is obviously needing discipline as correction, but you give the discipline and you explain to them why what they did. I, I, I had you. Why what they did was wrong. You got to let them know what they did was wrong. What Corey was saying earlier when he talked to that boy in his class. Uh, John Maxwell said something that was powerful. He said, affirmation is like oxygen for the soul. So when Corey spoke into that boy's life, he was, mm-hmm. it was actually like speaking to a, honestly, like speaking to a dead situation and then speaking life into it. And he just, he needed somebody to speak life into him. That's sometimes all, man. sometimes mm-hmm. you got to kill him before you, sometimes you got to lay him down before you raise him back up. You got to get in that chair. <laughs> I mean, I used to work at uh, the alternative school. They brought a little boy in my class one day that he was acting a fool. And I let him ride for about 10 minutes. We went to the lunchroom. Thankfully, it was lunchtime. And right before he walked in the lunchroom, I put him to the side. I said, come in my house right quick. I said, you go in there and act up again. I said, just as calm. I said, if you go in there and act up again, I'm going to snatch him out of you. And you ain't going to like what you see from me. And I smiled. I said, now do it again. That boy went there and sat down like a little church mouse. But it was a man. I wasn't even a father yet. But I was called to be one. Because now I got him. <laughs> I got him. 
But that's something that we have to do. It's something about that. There you go. Corey Myers right there. Look what he said. Look what he said. See, Raymond. He said, it's something about when that bass tone in the voice hits. It's real humbling. It's mm-hmm. something about when that when we when we when we put that bass tone on them on those children, they respond right. <laughs> they respond right, and that's what they need. Hey, listen, that's what I wanted to do tonight. I'm about to wind this conversation down. Uh, the only other thing I really wanted to do that I didn't do, and uh, we might and I might do it again next week. I don't know what I'm gonna talk about next week. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I might do something different. Uh, but I, there were several good w- ways that good dads are great for kids because when dads are present and actively engaged in their children's lives, uh, they have better, healthier relationships. They typically have better physical health. They're less likely to become addicted to substances. They're more likely to feel safe and more confident. They have better odds of academic success. They're more likely to stay out of trouble, uh, therefore reduces the cost of policing criminal justice, and incarceration. In other words, sisters, we need dads. Uh, dads, it's, you're necessary. Uh, I want all dads to know that you are necessary. If you're not in your child's life, please, sir, figure it out. Please, ma'am, figure it out. Uh, from what we've learned tonight, uh, it's necessary that parents partner together and become what we learned last week is that we have to be successful at co-parenting. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that really, really matters is what? The child. If we got together and we used to like each other, evidently we used to like each other enough to produce a child. We did. So let's be responsible enough to to see that whole process through. We got to see it through. Uh, because... Um, as Grandmama Nim used to say, Corey, and I'm sure you can relate, done got late in the evening. And yes, sir. And the sun is going down. And the and they and like you said, our children are lured by satanic suggestion on a daily basis. They're they're going to school with kids with two mommies and two daddies. They're going to people that don't have the moral values. They're going to people that don't that don't go to church. We got black. Hindus and all kind of stuff going on now. You got Scientologists and comedics and all kind of people who believe different things. So you have to insulate and protect your children and put some substance inside of them. As grandma and them used to call it, that brown beans and cornbread type of theology, something that sticks to your bones. So that if you eat at five o'clock, you ain't coming back in the kitchen at seven o'clock asking for a snack because you got some substance that has stuck to your bones. And that's what you need. Hey, Reggie and Corey, I appreciate y'all for coming through for me again. Uh, y'all, are, y'all are great, and I appreciate y'all. Y'all have added so much value to this conversation. Uh, Pastor Morris, your hoodie is on the way. <laughs> it will be there tomorrow. I sent it. Uh, I sent it a priority mail, uh, so it will be there tomorrow. Reggie, I see you looking at me like, "Where my hoodie?" Okay, I got you, bro. For real, all I need is your size. And I'll make sure I, I make that uh, happen for you uh, so you can get that. Uh, anybody else uh, that's listening, I appreciate you all uh, for joining in the conversation tonight. Y'all have added uh, so much value to this show tonight, and I appreciate you, Brasenia, uh, Corey, um, uh, Tiffany, all of you all that are Ashley, uh, who are I don't want LaDon, all of y'all, Philipsia, I don't want to leave nobody out, so I'm going to stop. But all of y'all, y'all have added 
so much value to this conversation. And we're going to continue to have these conversations. We want to we want to put the black man in his rightful spot. We want to put fathers in their rightful spot. And my main thing, and I'm going to say this until I'm blue in the face, and it might not ever happen, but I'm going to always say this. If we want to fix our communi community, there has to be reconciliation between the black male and the black female. We got to fix the, our relationship. Somebody got to say, I'm sorry. And that mainly is us. And when we say, I'm sorry, sisters, I hope y'all believe it. And y'all and y'all forgive us and let us move on so we can start to fix this. Now, if you want to support this podcast, uh, if you want to support us, uh, you can... Uh, uh, you can, uh, our cash app is scrolling across the screen. There are several things that we're trying to do as we grow, as we grow. Y'all see, I've changed up my set tonight. I'm sitting on my couch tonight. I ain't gonna lie. I kind of like this. I bought me a different little camera and, uh, I kind of like this setup. I'm trying to be comfortable because we're on for a couple of hours. So I appreciate you all. Uh, we were, uh, we were on every Monday night at, uh, at nine o'clock. We're usually on for about two hours and we usually have these types of discussions. If you're interested in any other content, you can go back to our YouTube channel. It's called The Intellectual Stew with James Kirkland, and you can see any other show that we have done over the uh, over the last six or seven months, and uh, you're able to go and see that content. So I appreciate you. Somebody actually hit our cash app last week for it. They actually gave us a little blessing last week, and I appreciate them for that. So like I said, if you are, I'm going to start a little partner thing up pretty soon. For those of you all that want to partner, maybe for five or ten dollars a month or whatever, you want to help support this podcast, and I'll scroll your name across the bottom of the screen, showing that you are a partner. So if you decide to do something like that, make sure you put your name uh, in the subject line when you send in the cash app, so I can acknowledge you and tell you thank you. Okay? So I'm out of here, uh, Reggie and Corey. I know you, Reggie. You got school tomorrow, Reggie? You y'all back in school? I ain't know if they kept y'all out or not. Okay, well. Yeah, cool. we back. So, uh, okay, yeah. So that's so that's cool. Uh, and Corey, I see you look like you're in your office too. So I appreciate y'all for coming on and hanging out with me tonight. And uh, y'all y'all showed up at a moment's notice, man. And I I appreciate y'all for real, for real. So uh, I'm trying to find my little music so I can get out of here right. But uh, I'm late. I apologize. I messed it all up. I messed it all up. But it's still 23 people in the chat. Hold on, y'all. Wait, I gotta, I gotta turn my music on so I can say it right. Oh, there it is. Boom. Uh, they're telling us how great the conversation is tonight. Was great. Oh, there it is. All right, so yeah, so everything's great. Good show tonight. Reggie, you're the best. See, Ray, you're the best. If you missed the early part of the show, go back and listen to it. We had Coach Reggie, the former NFL player, on it. He talked about his organization. But remember this, whenever I get out of here, I always say the same thing. Remember this, the world is changing. My question for you is, why do you remain the same? Y'all have a good night.